Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Political Party Podcast. This one features leader of the Scottish Liberal Democrats, Willie Rennie, uh, who I spoke to up in Edinburgh about all sorts of things, the relationship between the UK party and the Scottish party, the opportunities for the Lib Dems in Scotland, his relationship with Joe Swinson, and more importantly, why he was papped dressed as Harry Potter in an Edinburgh alleyway. Delighted to be joined by Willie Rennie, the leader of the Scottish Liberal Democrats. Willie, hello. Great, great to be here. I listen to you when I'm out running in the morning, so it's great to be on the, the show itself. Oh, well, I wonder, would you, would you listen back to yourself? Oh, no. I would, <laughs> I would, I would cringe all the way around playing Adam Forrest. I couldn't cope with that. I wonder if it is, because uh, people listen in all sorts of different places. Uh, I've never thought of it as a running companion before. I mean, do you find that... Um, you, you run further or faster when you're listening to someone that you agree with or disagree with? I was cursing and swearing going around there. I wouldn't tell you who it was you had in your programme. But it does motivate me to run a wee bit faster when I hear something that I really object to. So, so it might actually be quite a good thing. You know, well, I hope it works. You, you're saying Bolt works. might come back. Have you listened to your podcast? You never know. Of course, one thing you're running at the moment is an election campaign right here from Edinburgh. <coughs> in this beautiful building, the home of the Scottish Liberal Democrats. Um... I mean, a potentially huge opportunity for you in, in, in Scotland this election. Um, also, riven with danger, really. I mean, I suppose the, the, over, the, the main question is, is there space for the Scottish Liberal Democrats in what is such a crowded, split field of Scottish politics? Well, the thing since, I mean, we've seen with both referendums, whether it's the one on independence or on Brexit, that it's changed the dynamic as a whole in British and Scottish politics. So post the independence referendum a lot of people were polarised, rather than left-right, they were polarised around about nationalism and unionism. And it's the same with the Brexit debate. It's polarised about, and we're looking out, we're looking, you know, Europe, United Kingdom. So there's a... And it, so in Scottish politics, it's still changing. So you get a lot of people who are still moving from party to party. People you never think that would ever have moved, for instance, from Scottish nationalism to conservatism. How's that happening? But you get people who voted yes in it for independence in 2014, and they voted to leave. And I turn up on the doorstep and say, who are you voting for? And they spin round in circles on the doorstep because they don't have a clue. Because Nicola's telling them to take back control from London to give it to Brussels. And they go, what's that? I don't understand that. And then so they, some of those people are going conservative. But equally, some of the people who were Labour, who are pro-UK and pro-EU, see a Labour Party that sat on the fence on both, so are coming to the Liberal Democrats. So there's a still a massive churn in Scottish politics, just like there is in UK politics. So that's a big opportunity for us. And are disaffected Labour pro-Europeans your kind of top demographic target? So there's a number of different groups. Um, first, there's very pro-Europeans, and that comes from across all the parties. So we yeah. get moderate Conservatives 
perhaps who were fans of Ruth Davidson and now that she's gone, they're coming to us. Yeah. There are people who are very pro-European from the Labour tradition who are against independence, they're coming to us. And then you've got another group, which are pro-Europeans who perhaps voted for independence in 2014, but perhaps have had enough of that. They've had enough of the division. They think it's maybe not the right time. And they, they're excited by the UK-wide effort to stop Brexit. So they're coming to us. So you've got people from all the different voting traditions, however long they've been with those parties, that are coming to us. Now, of course, there's people moving in other directions as well, but it's that shows how much, even though the opinion polls might look as if they're not changing much, there's a massive churn underneath all of that, which great opportunity for us. And how does the Scottish picture differ from the UK picture for the Lib Dems? It, it, are there more opportunities for you in Scotland, do you think? Um, well, the, the part of the challenge in Scotland is that you've got a competitor for the pro-European position. Yeah. So the SNP, although they were a bit late to the game, they're nevertheless, they've marked themselves out as a pro-European party. Um, they also want independence. So we get, you know, a section of that pro-European vote. And what we're trying to do is say, forget about independence. Let's just focus on Brexit and get that get that sorted. Let's make it stop. And that's where we're getting some of those. So there's big opportunities here. But it's different from the UK because we've got the independence identity issue overlaying on top of it. So we'll get some people who support Brexit, but they'll vote for us in Scotland. Now, you could never imagine that happening on a wide scale down south, but they vote for us because we're perhaps the challengers to the SAP in a particular area. And they'll say, well, in this case, independence trumps Brexit. I've got the SNP or the Lib Dems to choose between, and I'll choose the Lib Dems because... They're the better choice. So you, you get some odd kind of combination of votes that come. So the opportunities are different, but they're nevertheless quite significant. And just in terms of the Lib Dems at UK level, it feels as though, particularly around Brexit, it's such an opportunity for the Lib Dems. They've obviously gone for that hard remain message with revoke Article 50. Um, I'm kind of surprised that the polling doesn't, suggest the Lib Dems are eating into Labour as much? I mean, is this just the age-old battle the Lib Dems have? Well, not the age-old battle, relatively recent historical battle that Labour and the Conservatives are two such powerful brands to the British voting public that even in Brexit and independence and everything else, it's still hard for the Lib Dems to chip into those two. Well, I'm quite... I mean, there's still a lot of people that are undecided. If you dig into the opinion polls, there's still a large proportion. So one of the recent opinion polls in Scotland in particular showed between 15 and 20% of the 2017 Conservative and Labour vote was undecided. That's a massive proportion of the vote that you can still go for. So although we're still facing the massive challenge of the broadcasters polarising around Labour and the Conservatives, there's still a lot of people undecided despite that. So there's an opportunity there for us to still grow during the campaign with a greater coverage that we still get despite that polarisation. So, um, of course, I would love it to be much better, but, you know, doubling our opinion poll rating since only a few months ago, it's not a bad start. It's not bad. I mean, it, it, you've got a very Scottish-friendly party, really. Joe Swinson, obviously, is Scottish. Um, does that help up here, having a, a Scottish leader at a UK level? Yes, it does. It does. Um, and, and the fact that the other parties spend so much time providing a a balanced critique of Joe's performance um, gives us an extra focus as well in Scotland because they're always fair and reasonable people. All you need to do is to go onto Twitter to find the cybernats that they're always 
putting our case as well as their case. <laughs> you, you get a fair bit of stuff on Twitter. I mean, part, mainly because you, uh, as with, there seems to be a, a slightly different culture within Scotland where, for all the cyber and that, and, and to be fair, on all sides of the political debate, there are people on social media that, that behave in an awful way. Um, not there's, just on the there's, there's more, of, more of them. <laughs> <laughs> that might be your personal opinion. Um, and, and that may be borne out by certain people's experience. But um, there seems to be, I suppose Ruth Davidson did a lot of it, and you do a lot of it, of kind of enjoying silly photo stunts and things. And that seems to become part of the culture here. Rather than, obviously there's still UK-wide politicians that do it, but it, it does feel a little bit, oddly, way more serious in Scotland and also way more light-hearted at the same time. Yeah, you've got to mix the light in the dark. If you're just a stuffy politician who takes himself far too seriously, Scots are pretty good at puncturing <laughs> that. So we just get in ahead of them and just puncture it ourselves before we even start. So some of it's great fun, but you'll always notice that I do very serious politics. Um, I care passionately about the stuff that I campaign on. Um, so though I'll do the light stuff, and uh, very light stuff sometimes, um, <laughs> the, it, it's, um, the, the pigs are probably what started it all off, where I yes. was doing an interview at Gorgie City Farm, which is under threat of closure just now, which is appalling. But um, and I was cleaning out the pigsty, as you would do in a normal election campaign. <laughs> um, and then we went and did an interview in front of the pigsty at the end, and unbeknown to me, uh, two pigs were getting a little bit amorous in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this got a full expose on the evening news. Uh, so it kind of probably started from there. And I thought the world had collapsed. I thought, this is going to be me ridiculing. Oh, really? For, oh, yeah, at the time you thought, just for the half hour you think, is this going to be a disaster or is this going to be a success? Are they going to laugh at me or are they going to laugh with me? And they laugh with me. And I suppose it depends how you respond to that, doesn't it? If you if you laugh it off, then people will take their cue from there. There were some photos earlier in the campaign of you dressed as Harry Potter. Yeah, very important. I used to read Harry Potter to my kids, so naturally you would dress up as Harry Potter. But was that for a, a Lib Dem campaign stuff? Don't, don't ask. For, yeah, it was, but don't ask. It just what wasn't message, leisure time. Don't ask what the, the message was. <laughs> so about reading? Yeah, I'm sure there was something about, about magic. magic casting a spell on the voters. <laughs> or I'm sure we made up some kind of rationale for it afterwards. Because some of the reaction you got was... Ooh. I think most people really liked it, laughed at it. But I, I read an article when I was on the train on the way up that said uh, some social media users... I mean, obviously, it doesn't matter what you do on social media... Someone's called for Willie Rennie to have a bit of self-respect. God, they should have realised that gone a long time ago. <laughs> it's so funny. Someone, what is, someone here says, called Unchained Unicorn mm. says, what is wrong with this guy? People are at food banks. Yeah. And he's running up lanes in cosplay outfits. He's a clueless egomaniac. Mm. That seems very harsh. <laughs> I'm wounded, really deeply wounded by these people. <laughs> Does it ever get you? I mean, I know this is all kind of, we're joking about people taking something like that disproportionately seriously, but... Does stuff yeah. does stuff get through? I, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Sometimes you know you think, God. I mean, because you, you get tired in election campaigns, and so there will be more weaker, vulnerable moments. But to be honest, if you if you dig into their profiles, <laughs> they're almost all saltire waving nationalists. You know, the, they've well, got a motivation for saying these things. Apparently there's a picture of you with a parrot and so, someone said, I'd be more likely to vote for the parrot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, what they didn't realise, it was a phoenix. Oh, and see? that's, that's a Harry Potter book, Phoenix. See, the see there you go, phoenix. 
rising from the ashes, the Liberal Democrats. So there was a reason for it all. Oh, and I suppose it is the Lib Dem bird, is it? Exactly. Is that a phoenix, by the way? Uh, A bird of liberty, I think we call it. But you could call it a phoenix. But not a particular breed, it's like a a fictional... Yeah. Um, (laughs) I don't know why... I just realised there might be a link between the two. I thought it was worth exploring. Um, So the manifesto has been branded Stop Brexit... Uh, the manifesto for the European elections was called Bollocks to Brexit. Mm. I, I was shocked to read that people were offended again by that. I mean, did you encounter anyone who said, oh, we can't have this willy, yeah. they're swearing on it? Yeah, so, some people didn't like it. They were going to do, my team were keen to do ball bags to Brexit <laughs> in, in Scotland, but we thought we were going to go a little bit too far. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, you know, there's different audiences, isn't there, that like different things, and you've got to respect people for... If they don't like certain things, you, you acknowledge that. But actually, a bluntness and a clarity about it. I mean, if you ask Labour what their position is on Brexit, I don't think you would ever get it to two words. Well, it's just the bollocks without the, <laughs> without the two Brexit. <laughs> I mean, they could get it even down to one word. But yeah, no, so they are... Um, so we've got a clarity, and that's what really gave us confidence because we never quite expected the sudden dramatic rise in our support in the European elections it came quite quickly because we hadn't really said anything different from what we had said for the last two or three years but all of a sudden it just hit and connected Mm -hmm. and the bluntness and the clarity really hit through and when you had Jeremy Corbyn waffling endlessly about process and then you just got stop Brexit it was pretty attractive very clear. And actually, our slogan in Scotland is stop Brexit, stop independence, because there is a connection between the two for a lot of people that you don't really want to repeat the mistakes of Brexit. You want to learn the lessons. Um, so we don't want more chaos and borders and barriers and challenges about markets and all that kind of stuff with independence, because we've seen what it's like with Brexit. We don't want to do that. So there's a connection between the two. So stop independence, stop Brexit is a clear message in Scotland that's working really well. The Tories offer you a huge opportunity, but also a sense of peril, don't they? Because on the one hand, you're an alternative to them. And uh, if if Labour aren't going to provide, as you see, opposition to Brexit, then that gives you an opportunity. Having a Tory-led government in Westminster... Does that make it harder to convince Scottish voters or the voters you need to stay in the union? Um, I mean, the Conservatives have been, despite calling themselves unionists, they have been quite reckless with the union. I mean, if you look at the deal that's on the table just now, it's putting a border down the Irish Sea, and that specific, that actual proposal was condemned not just by Ruth Davidson, not just by David Mundell, the then Secretary of State for Scotland, but also by Boris Johnson just last year. And now he's saying it's the best thing ever. You know, so there's a... I think they put Brexit first before almost anything else. Uh, And they've also... The more kind of hard line they are, the more challenging it is. But, I mean, I, I believe that the strength of the United Kingdom will even withstand the recklessness of the Conservatives... But it doesn't make it that easier, you know, when you've got them behaving that the way that they do. Um, you know, in previous elections, in, I think it was 2015, remember the pickpocket? We were portraying Alex Salmond as a pickpocket, just feeding the kind of the perception about what Scots wear mm. to an English audience. And that's, again, doesn't really help sort of bind the United Kingdom uh, together. So they are pretty reckless with these things. They'll always put their party first before 
the United Kingdom. They always put Brexit first before the United Kingdom. Um, but we think the United Kingdom is strong enough to withstand that, but it doesn't make it that easy. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As a party, you're sucking in talent from literally left, right and centre. You've had Chuck Ramuna and uh, Luciana Berger. You've had Heidi Allen. You've had people joining the party, Sarah Wollaston, um, which is, uh, obviously creates a, a buzz around the party, suggests that you're a home for centre-ground, moderate politicians. I wonder about the challenges that brings, though, where you've got people to the right of you and to the left of you coming into a party and perhaps trying to change it. I mean, do you think the Liberal Democrats can can stay... Do, or what's the point? Do the Liberal Democrats have to change, actually? Is, is, is that a good thing? Well, it's, I mean, actually, we have been... I mean, remember, post-2015, we were an all-male parliamentary party. We had no people of colour. I don't think we had... No, we did have an MP from Leicester in a by-election... Pomjit Singh Gill, That's Leicester right. South in 2004. Oh, God, I shouldn't have challenged your knowledge. <laughs> I worked on that by election for the <laughs> Labour <you>? Party, yeah. <laughs> so I don't think he lasted very long. But, but well, he lost it at the 2005 election then, did he? Yeah. To Peter yeah. Salisbury, who went on to be the Was mayor he? of Leicester. Right. OK. Well, so he's been the, the, sole, the, the sole exception <laughs> um, to, to all of that. So actually having... A much more diverse group. I think we're 50-50 in terms of a parliamentary group now. You know, we've got Chuka Muna, um, who's, a, I have to say, is a great addition to the team. What a thinker that man is, strategist. And he's right in at a leadership role alongside Joe and part, you know, parts of all the WhatsApp groups that are happening just now. And he is right on it. I mean, he's such a talent. Um, and they fit right in. You know, he uses the word we rather than you. You know, sometimes when you get people joining from other parties, they still is, look as if they're looking from the outside. Yeah. But he automatically was... You, you would think he'd been a member of the Lib Dems from the age of one. You know, he was part of the family. It's, it was outstanding. So he's a great thinker, great addition. And it's, it's changed the party. It's challenged the party in many ways just to be embracing. and I mean, we've been growing with lots of new members, and whenever you're growing, it's always a challenge to say, how is the party going to move on? But these people are fantastic. But you think existing members go, hang on, if we wanted to join New Labour, we'd have joined it at the time. We have a distinct identity, and it's important that that's not changed by Chuck Ramuna or Sarah Williston or whoever. Well, no, we don't, we've not had that. Um, but what you, because we're confident enough that we know the conference, which is 
ultra democratic, more democratic than I would really like. But it's, <laughs> but it's but it problematically is, democratic. Problematically. <laughs> so we we debate everything right in the open air, and it's it's uncomfortable at times. But the members have a confidence in that process, and so therefore they don't worry about these things. They don't worry about takeovers or anything because they know the conference at the end of the day will batter it all out. And as long as you're part of the family, you'll accept that. So it's a great. The parties are. It's mature enough, confident in its own skin, and I think Chuka and the others have fitted in well. There is a real rivalry between the Lib Dems and the Labour Party. It goes, mm. you know, by elections up and down the country have been fiercely fought. That Liverpool uh, Walton, yeah. that by nineteen ninety one. Liverpool, Walton. But a lot of people outside of politics, even people who are quite politically engaged, had no, and I had no idea of the ferocity of the rivalry until I worked for the Labour Party, mm. and was shocked. And I, I would. I would stand by this. I think most Labour Party staff I worked with hated the Lib Dems more than they hated oh, the Tories. Oh, yeah. Little Baron Saddleworth, 1994. Were you at that one? No, 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 no I was Peter back. Mandelson, up Ten against... Ten years old for that one. Up against our... God, that was a vicious campaign. It was all about drugs, I think. <laughs> I think they, they created the impression our candidate was constantly high. <laughs> the was campaign. that true or not? I'm, I'm not, not commenting. Not constantly. <laughs> not constantly. <laughs> right, Chris Davis was a... And he won. He won. Yeah. He beat Peter Mandelson. But that was a vicious campaign. So some of the campaigns against Labour and the Lib Dems, particularly Liverpool, some of the Northern campaigns, particularly vicious. I mean, in, in other parts of the country, it was a bit more sedate. We tended to be up against the Conservatives. Yeah, in Leicester South, to my shame, I dressed up as a chicken and followed. Oh, Charles were you Kennedy. the chicken? I was the chicken in Leicester South. God, yeah. What an honour! And we had a. <laughs> I used to follow Charles Kennedy around with a big pair of yellow scissors that said "Lib Dem cuts" on it, and we had a megaphone where the chant was "Lib Dem soft on crime, soft on thugs, soft on drugs." Um, and here we are with a manifesto to legalise cannabis. So maybe maybe I called it right. Until you, maybe we did. We did. <laughs> but it's amazing how even that issue's changed, doesn't it? About yes. how society is much more tolerant and open and prepared to look at different solutions to some of the serious issues like that. But yeah, I'm not sure Peter Mandelson would send you out in a, um, in a chicken suit anymore with a big pair of yellow scissors. <laughs> but it made me realise, I, I never, I just thought, well, Labour and the Lib Dems, you know, there are distinctions, but they're on one side and the Tories are on the other side. And actually the ferocity of the rivalry between the two. And I, in a way, I mean that with a great sense of respect that I think people can often underestimate the Lib Dems. And there's the, you know, the uh, stereotypes about sandals and socks and, you know, vegetarian food or whatever. But actually... As, a, as an election unit, particularly in by-elections, I think it's the most ruthless machine I've ever faced. Well, we had, in Christchurch, where I was the agent in 1993, we had a 90% contact rate, which is just wow. unknown. We knew where if we sent the burglars, they'd be guaranteed to come to a house where there was nobody at home. <laughs> so we absolutely, we had, I mean, we had an operation, we had 800 people in over each day of the weekend, the final weekend. It was just an amazing operation. And it, to be part of that is a great thrill. To crush the Labour Party is an even greater thrill. <laughs> but actually, at that time, it was interesting, throughout that period, when Tony Blair um, was leader, his association with Paddy Ashton was very strong. But despite that, some of the campaigns were particularly hard fought. So you, you wonder about the connection between the campaigns and both these parties and the leadership. But, uh, some of the some of the kind of great cliches of Lib Dems campaigns are the, are the it's a two horse race, uh, Labour can't win here. The bar chart. I mean, what's been remarkable about this election is there seems to be a lot of focus on these tactics that have always. Hmm. I mean, as far as I'm aware, all in, in a by election campaign, particularly parliamentary by election campaign, parties of all shades get up to all sorts of 
nonsense and trickery. It does feel like this time there seems to be a particular focus on the Lib Dems. Is that as a result of the fact that the party's been taken more seriously and therefore there's more of a spotlight? Or do you think some of these tactics shouldn't be used anymore and there is a legitimate outrage about the way you use statistics on leaflets? I mean, the bar charts are used in order to make sure that people understand that the national position doesn't apply locally. Yeah. That's the whole purpose of it. You know, to give us the credibility, the winnability at a local level, it's important to represent that. And we are always accurate in the representation of our bar charts. Um, they, perhaps they don't include the whole bar chart, they may be chopped off at the bottom, but they, but they certainly are an accurate representation. So, but it is important that people understand what actually is happening at a local level, because the other parties would love to present us as being irrelevant in every single contest, and that's not the case. Um, so I think the reason why they're focusing on it now is because we're cutting through. Um, we're making progress, we're doubling our vote, we're winning by-elections, European elections, we came ahead of Labour and the Conservatives for the first time for, what, 100 years? You know, it, this they are worried about us, and you just have to look at all the attacks to know that that's the case. In terms of modern campaigning methods uh, that other parties use, um, you know, Labour have set up, and Labour supporters, more to the point, have set up their own media outlets, things like the Canary and Navarra Media, um, the Conservatives uh, changing their Twitter handle to fact-check during the leaders' debates. There's a sense that other parties are kind of going to these new places um, as provocative and as, as morally dubious as some of these things might be. Do you think the Lib Dems need to do similar things? Do you think you need to set up a kind of independent website that looks independent, that's kind of got a more street-based... Punkier yeah. feel to sell the brand? Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. I actually think a straightforward representation of your case is something that's valuable to us, so devoting most of our time to making that happen would be a good thing. I sometimes wonder if these things are just in an echo chamber mm. that satisfies certain groups and they all talk amongst themselves and convince themselves they're winning, when in reality most people are out there are not engaging with that kind of thing. So I've not been particularly attracted to set up kind of bogus... Um, fronts elsewhere. It's the old militant that are those kind of. That's that's their old trick, isn't it? Um, the Youth Trade Union Rights Congress was a Tommy Sheridan thing in Scotland. I seem to remember. He would set up all these fronts across the place to make it look as if they were normal organisations, when in reality they weren't. So no, we've not done that. And it, and it, just in terms of people's concerns about campaigning in what feels like a post-truth age, how much of a challenge is that specifically to the Liberal Democrats? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, it is a constant challenge to make sure that the facts are there and you can spend all your time just dealing with rebuttals and it consumes all of your energy and all your staff, a limited resource, a lot of volunteer time, when actually just sometimes the traditional, going and knocking on doors and actually seeing people face-to-face and being able to communicate to them still is under undervalued. You know, if everybody thinks you can win a campaign only online... They're kidding themselves. Most people don't read that stuff. It, it's got to be out there. And of course, you can tell when you go on the doorsteps who's swallowed the nationalist Bible in Scotland because they come out with all the same lines all the time. So it does train their people, but the actual reality is that most people don't think and act like that, and you do need to be on the doorsteps. I mean, I knock on doors normally all year round, three times a week, and I'll do, during election times, I'll be out several hours every single day. In between media interviews, I'll be out in the doors. And I get a good feel, better than any opinion poll, I think, about what really the movements are 
And if you don't get politicians doing that and they just hide themselves away, then I think they quickly lose touch. If you just rely on opinion polls and focus groups, you don't get the little nuances yes. about how strongly people feel about particular things. So I think that's the way that's the way I run politics. I'm probably knocking on more doors than any other party leader in Scotland. They'll probably contest that, <laughs> but I'm it all the time, constantly. And how does your role with regards to um, Joe Swinson work? I mean, do you have full autonomy over the Scottish Lib Dems, or do you have to do things in partnership? It with kind them? of like mirrors the Scottish Parliament. So basically, the Scottish Parliament uh, can decide on a particular policy. Then that's my domain. And if it's, you know, we have a role at the UK level, I contribute to the UK strategy. Um, it's a very collegiate approach. Joe and I got on very well. That supported her in the leadership. Uh, we've always worked very closely together. I'm a great admirer of hers. Um, so we're in that team as well. That's not always the case. You know, it depends on who the leader is. But um, I have full control, or the Scottish Party Conference <laughs> has full control over all the devolved areas. And but you know we're part of the UK wide leadership because we are just now we're about a quarter a fifth of the UK parliamentary party so you know and we've got the chief whip we've got Christine Jardin who's uh, Edinburgh West and then um, Jamie Stone up in the far north uh, but also Joe herself so there's a you know quite a lot of uh, influential people in the UK wide party are from Scotland and how does it differ your relationship with Joe to your relationship with Vince Tim and Nick. Um. <laughs> well, Vince, Vince had his own interesting style. Um, he, I'm not sure even his staff sometimes knew what was going on. He was a very talented man, but yeah. um, he was a sole thinker, and he would come up with you know some really meaningful policies, which we would discover uh, at a later stage through but, the media. Through the media, but you know he was a, he was a I mean, and he got the party back up to you know a decent level before. He left, and he was clearly enjoying himself uh, towards the end. Um, but, you know, just, he had a different style, a more individualist style. Um, Tim Farron, um, Tim and I, again, we used to share an office at Westminster, so always got on with him really well. Um, and, you know, so we, we worked, we would text each other quite regularly, but it was less organised than with Joe, where there's a specific coordinating group. You know, and we've we have phone-ins on a regular basis, and I have a bilaterals with her as well. So, I'm revealing all my deeper, darker secrets about. <laughs> this the is great, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Singing like a canary or a bird of liberty. Um, as someone who sat in both parliaments, which do you prefer? Um, well, Westminster does the big, grand occasions. Yeah, uh, there's a real buzz about the Queen's speech or the budget. Yeah. You know, you feel your heart really thumps when you get up. You have to be right on form when you're doing that. Uh, for uh, Prime Minister's questions, you know, real kind of like bear pit. Um, Scottish Parliament is not any less, kind of, any more gentle than 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 uh, than um, Westminster. Um, but I quite like the fact that it's focusing on health and education and stuff like that yeah. because that's where my real interests lie. Um, uh, yeah, so it's take your pick, but I like being in charge. <laughs> That's the main thing, <laughs> no matter where it is. I know this is an awful question, but I've asked it of every guest, and you can be as vague as you like. Um, I, I, and with all the caveats that there's a long time to go and the campaign could change things and everything else, at this stage, when we're talking to each other, on the uh, 21st of November, 
What's your prediction for the general election? I'm going to dodge. <laughs> but you could say <laughs> can I just, Parliament. I'll be blunt. Say... Well, um, I mean, I, I never even predicted my own by-election victory back in 2006. I didn't have a clue. So I'm terrible at predicting these things. I thought um, Theresa May would get her Brexit deal through. Um, so, oh God. <laughs> so, so my, my predictions are really not to be relied upon. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. What about, okay, well, how do, I'm trying to think of a way we can word it that isn't like a solid prediction, but something like, uh, you know, the Lib Dems will make gains or... Yeah, we'll make gains. We'll make gains. Um, I think G- Jeremy Corbyn will find it much tougher this time because people, uh, last time around, I'm not really sure they were answering the question, do you want Jeremy Corbyn to be Prime Minister? I think it's more the question this time. And therefore, I think he'll find it much more challenging. Um, and he, although he did better in the debate the other night with Boris Johnson, I thought um, he was much more measured. Boris looked flustered and actually quite weak. And they were both laughed at by the audience, but um, I think uh, they'll find, I think Labour will find it particularly difficult. Um, and I think Boris will probably trip up at some point. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot to be done. Um, so my prediction of Joe being Prime Minister still stands. <laughs> I, I, she'll be there. She'll be there. There we go. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> Cheers. It's been a joy. Well, there you go, the ever-optimistic, ever-cheerful, positive Willie Rennie. Uh, it was a pleasure to have him on, and who knows, maybe he's listening to this right now when he's out for a run. Email your funny campaign stories to politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com, and I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>